Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, a quick and informative look into the state of South Carolina sports, presented by the state newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and joining us, as he often does, is reporter Ben Briner. And South Carolina football has an open week, but there is still a lot going on around the program, principally surrounding Coach Will Muschamp's job security and some interesting, we'll say, comments back and forth from Athletics Director Ray Tanner and President Bob Caslin. Ben, let's first of all just take a quick overview of what's been going on over the past, say, week and a half. I appreciate your use of the word interesting to describe something that has had us unexpectedly scrambling at least three times in the past couple weeks. That's been uh, strange. So it started with South Carolina's loss to App State, obviously a very humiliating defeat for South Carolina and for Will Muschamp. Speaking on his teleconference the next day, Coach Muschamp said he absolutely feels supported by President Castlin and Ray Tanner and spoke more along that vein. Then the next day, something drops from footballscoop.com. Yeah, they went ahead, went ahead and reported that it sounded like Muschamp was going to be back, though there would be pressure from the administration to make some staff changes, which is one of those things that is not exactly obvious, but felt at times sort of obvious based on buyout, based on other situational stuff. The next day, Muschamp said that the football scoop report is false. Then he was asked about Brian McClendon, to which he just said... They evaluate everything at the end of the year, so more boilerplate stuff, and said he kind of, he was hoping to have a long tenure at the University of South Carolina. All that kind of makes sense. All that's sort of what you would expect. And then the next day, school president Robert Caslin basically tried to say something similar in terms of boilerplate. He's our coach. We'll dig into it at the end of the season. And to a degree, it seemed like he didn't quite get the sense of how that was going to hit which it hit pretty hard, and it became kind of a thing because the president was saying, he's our coach up until year's end, which, you know, starts digging in on the whole question of, is he going to be the coach next year? Yeah, he said that to the Greenville News. We'll circle back to that later because it was kind of an interesting unfolding. But that happened. The Greenville News reported a story saying, he's our coach, he's our guy, till the end of the year. Two days later, Ray Tanner issues a statement just before the, uh, the South Carolina plays Texas A&M, saying, Today I want to make it clear that Will Muschamp is our football coach and will be our coach going forward. And then went on to express general support for him. Did not specify what going forward meant, which again, it leads to all the speculation about next year, is it through the end of the year, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, South Carolina goes out and loses in pretty bad fashion to Texas A&M. And in the wake of that, Coach Muschamp again, reiterates that he's felt support from the administration and all that, and gets, you know, a little defiant and defensive talking about he still plans on taking South Carolina places it's never been before, all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, Ray Tanner was asked about his statement, Ben, what was kind of the the general gist of that? He basically said that he wanted to come out after there were questions that arose from, you know, some of the different things that had happened coming off that App State game. He kind of felt like the tone of where things were wasn't great. So he wanted to come out and say that he, you know, supported Will Muschamp. And it was interesting because it involved the phrase, he's our coach going forward, but kind of declined to dig in exactly on what going forward meant, which kind of left it as sort of a question. And then on the Sunday teleconference, Muschamp kind of reiterated some of the questions about the offense, about what hasn't been working, about the messages that haven't kind of maybe helped get that group back on track. 
but he didn't go into really a ton more detail about Brian McLennan's potential future. And then to cap it all off, on Monday evening, the Florence Morning News released a story, again from an interview they had with President Bob Caslin, where he said he hadn't spoken with Florida State about how they handled the buyout of Coach Willie Taggart. That was, I think, also around $18 million as well, somewhat similar to Coach Muschamp's. But he did say Ray Tanner had, and understandably that attracted a lot of interest from South Carolina people because it makes it seem like they're at least, you know, you're considering their options, whereas before they had mentioned all the support and everything. And then to cap that off, he issued a statement later in the night saying, let me let me set the record straight. Ray Tanner never asked or never spoke with Florida State about coaching contracts. Oh, and to double back, he also said in the Florence Morning News story that the Greenville News twisted his words to make it sound that his statement about coaches are coached through the end of the season to make that sound worse than it was. And then the Greenville News released their recording of it and he said what he said. So, all in all, we've gotten two official statements, a lot of confusion, a lot going on right now. Ben, what do you make of, you know, all these statements coming out? And it seems like South Carolina can't seem to get out of their own way in this. It certainly is problematic. And I think some of it is kind of a case of not figuring out exactly how certain boilerplate phrases are going to hit. And when I kind of say that, I mean, uh, there's a writer I respect a lot who says that it's definitely not our job to tell people how to practice public relations in a correct way. Part of our job is, you know, asking questions, trying to find the truth. The first statement from Kaslin, again, pretty boilerplate, but sort of the kind of thing that can take on a little bit of a life of its own. I remember a few years back, Steve Spurrier mentioned something about maybe playing three quarterbacks against LSU, I think. It was it was basically a throwaway line, and someone had turned it into a story that said South Carolina might play three quarterbacks. Spurrier maybe didn't mean it that way, but he did say it. And I think that Kaslin's first statement was very much that. I don't think he meant to say anything super fiery, but anything he was going to say was going to be either Muschamp might not come back or Muschamp is definitely coming back. It was, there wasn't a, sort of linguistically kind of a, a mushy middle that they could kind of settle into. Tanner's statement basically kind of found almost that mushy middle, give or take the going forward part, but basically the way that they kind of treated it was this sort of, we still like him, but we're not ruling anything out just yet. Now, the Florence Morning News comments were a little more interesting, first because the question itself was a little bit strange because it, it required sort of pulling some stuff together. And I'm honestly surprised that the answer was we've talked to them about it because, one, it sort of points to the idea of, you know, that they w- that they are seriously looking at some of the angles of the buyout, which they probably don't want out there, and also talking about what might happen if everything goes wrong in the Clemson game, which, you know, we've got a lot of time before that game for a lot of things to stew over. So with more than a week and a half explaining that if the stadium looks very empty and they lose by a ton of points, that could swing things, that's going to kind of be hanging over all of this. I actually thought the explana- the follow-up statement was kind of interesting because it basically it followed another reporter's rules that I like where he, whenever he tries to break news, he keeps it as simple and bare bones as possible because the details are where you get tripped up. And in this case, that statement that he responded simply, Ray Tanner didn't talk to Florida State, is bare bones and can maybe pull you a little bit out of the fire without necessarily having more explanation. Now, this will prompt follow-up questions. We'll see if any of them are answered. And it definitely doesn't create a great look really on either front that, you know, schools are issuing statements, taking back other statements after 10 p.m. Uh, on a bye week of all things. 
Yeah, and especially, like you said, that statement they sent out was extremely bare bones, but it leads to kind of parsing every word. He said, Ray Tanner did not talk to FSU about coaching contracts. And so you say, did someone else? Did they have a conversation about something else? Basically, there's like some linguistic wiggle room that's left in there. Correct. And I think to a degree, linguistic wiggle room is kind of what has helped cause all of this, that the original statement to the Greenville News, that had linguistic wiggle room and probably could have been tightened less so with the Florida State part with the Florence Morning News because, again, that felt a little bit out of left field. Question might have been a little bit out of left field, but creative and a good question because it yielded potentially some truth. We're not really sure. But, yeah, it definitely is kind of a case of this being sort of a a high-tension thing and a high-interest thing, and the words that are said when they're not really, really carefully vetted are going to end up, uh, you know, creating a stir one way or the other. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. All right, so this is all the war of the words that's swirling around all of this, but let's, before all this happened, I wanted to talk to you about the actual nitty-gritty of Coach Muschamp's buyout, his contract, all that kind of thing. There, there was life before all of this happened? I, I don't remember any of it at this juncture. Yeah, no, there, there was life, and we're talking about a big chunk of change, you have a copy of Coach Muschamp's contract. I thought, because it seems like there's a little confusion about what the actual buyout is and how much that actually entails. Could you explain for us what it looks like and the timing of it especially? So when you look at the actual structure of it, it basically says that Will Muschamp, should he be uh, terminated without cause, will be entitled to, and let me, let me quote this directly, 75% of the compensation due and unpaid to employee for a bunch of the stuff, pro rata for the remaining term of the employment agreement. Now, this is sometimes confusing because the way that the buyouts tend to be listed, especially for the, the coach side if they leave, they, they tend to be hard and fast dates where they roll over and drop. So, you know, the buyout would be $5 million this day, and then two days later after the deadline, it would be $2 million if the coach wanted to leave. This is not the way it works from the school side. If the school wants to cut someone and they put a percentage like they've got in this particular contract, they basically have to make Will Muschamp whole up to the amount that is 75% of what he is currently making, assuming mitigation, which I believe is elsewhere in the contract, or at least Ray Tanner has told us as such. Now, what does that mean? It means Will Muschamp gets paid, I can't remember if it's every month or every two weeks, like a normal person would. So every time he collects a paycheck, that buyout drops by 75% of whatever his weekly paycheck that year happens to be, or biweekly, whatnot. So if Will Muschamp were to be cut the day after the Clemson game, he would get paid 75% of whatever he was owed for December, which is, I think, something like $275,000, plus 75% of whatever he gets paid for the next five years based on the contract says. Now, there's a mitigation factor, which means that if he goes and takes another job, whatever he earns there comes out of the money that South Carolina would pay him. So Will Muschamp, let's look at 2020, he's set to earn $4.6 million. That means that he will earn 75% of $4.6 million next year, regardless of what job he takes, 
If he doesn't take a job for some reason, then he will earn all that money. If he takes a job for a million dollars, a million dollars comes off of that. Now, there was some confusion, again, that, you know, he would be paid the entirety of, I think it was 22 as of January 1st of this year, $22 million. It should be about 19 if he gets fired on December 1st. The problem with that would be that if he was to be paid 22 in that situation, you'd basically be going back and paying him 75% of the money he has already been paid in January and February and March, which would be silly and wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the primary confusion point there is it's prorated throughout the year. You know, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's not one huge number one day and then drops dramatically the next day. It's gradually declining over time. Correct. And there is another factor, which I haven't dug into the exact mitigation language in this contract or look closely at how the mitigation language works in South Carolina contracts. But I do know in certain situations, there's a requirement that the coach make uh, what amounts to a good faith effort to finding another job and getting paid somewhat around market rate. So for example, Brett Bielema, a former Arkansas coach, got a big old buyout. He's currently or was at some point making $50,000 a year as a Patriots defensive line coach. NFL defensive line coaches do not, on average, get paid $50,000 a year. He probably said, Arkansas is paying the difference, so do I care. And then Arkansas made some noise about potentially going to court over it because, well, that's just probably a way to handle it that's going to create uh, more noise around your program and might not be a great idea. But in this case, if Will Muschamp were to leave here, there would be an interesting question of, would he be within that good faith if he just took an analyst job for Nick Saban and got paid $50,000 a year? Or would they want him to go out and try to get a competitive defensive coordinator job, which he could probably leave this job right now and get handed a million dollars depending on which SEC job is currently open? He could probably do that in relatively short order. Now, I don't know if he's going to, and frankly, I don't know if he would want to be an analyst because he just seems like the guy who wants to get out there and coach. But that's all. that mitigation factor is also kind of in there because, again, if he gets a high-end defensive coordinator job for a million dollars, that instantly pulls potentially $5 million off the buyout off the top. And one other point is that we say $19 million, which is, you know, 70, 75% of his contract. That's not a lump sum, though, that's getting paid in one go, right? Correct. It will get paid out, I believe it's monthly installments, throughout the life of the contract. So that means every month he would get a twelfth of 75% of whatever the annual contract for for that year would be. I believe it tops out at uh, 5.5, maybe, if I've got the math right. 5.5 before taking the 75%. So it would just kind of keep going, and whatever he earned would, would come off of that. So it's not like South Carolina has to whip up a big sum of money right now. Though, if they wanted to save money, potentially on the back end, there's always room to negotiate, always room to kind of work through some things. I know Florida kind of leveraged some of Jim McElwain's statements about death threats to help take a chunk out of his buyout. I think he was supposed to be owed about $13 and he settled for less than that. And I imagine if Will Muschamp were amiable to reducing that number, maybe even just getting a lump sum now to leave, that might be something that could potentially happen. But, you know, that's all in the cards. That also depends. Does Will Muschamp want to take one more go at this, being that if he gets fired from this job, it might be kind of difficult to get another head coaching job? And there's also the factor that going through this next year, if he's a possible lame duck, could be exceedingly unpleasant. I know Chuck Reedy told uh, Phil Kornbluth on his radio show that he did about a month of being a lame duck and said it was miserable enough that he would advise Muschamp to just negotiate his way out of it. And looking at, I mean, like you said, the number is so fluid, but 
we've seen different examples over the past couple weeks of how teams handle coaches in a similar state to Muschamp. On one hand, Florida State fired Willie Taggart, and I believe the entirety of his $18 million or so buyout was handled by boosters and donors. Is that correct? I believe it's something like that, or they, they at the very least have agreed to back it. Um, I know Florida State came out and said some of that wasn't true. We don't know 100% the details, but realistically, if you're going, especially in their particular situation where it costs them about $17 million and they have an extremely powerful booster organization, you can entirely see that sort of coming to light, people getting mad enough to kind of do that sort of thing. Now, there's a certain amount of math with Florida State because they have a smaller season ticket base by, I believe it's somewhere between ten and 15,000. So a drop in enthusiasm for them, especially relative to what they have been historically, could be particularly damaging and could make firing a coach something you have to do. I don't necessarily know if that situation is super similar at South Carolina because South Carolina fans haven't been buying tickets to top 10 seasons all throughout the decades in the same way that Florida State fans have. And I think that South Carolina has got a little more base to work with. But if they were to have to make a change, you would have to imagine that this would involve some kind of quick appeal to boosters to get some of those finances in order because realistically contributions make up just an enormous part of that of any athletic department's budget, especially when it comes to having to make that extra outlay of cash. Yeah, it seems like from everything we've heard, Ray Tanner and Bob Caslin like Will Muschamp. And so there has to be a sort of internal calculus like you're talking about with season ticket holders. And if there's a noticeable drop in enthusiasm, that if the math is right, basically, Mm -hmm. then their hand is forced. Mm -hmm. And that part is also interesting because at least in the short term, I don't, I guess you'd have to look at some of their renewal rates that they probably haven't fully calculated or released yet. And who knows if if there is a change, they might end up coming out and saying this number's looking bad or that number's looking bad. I know coming into this season, they saw their season ticket numbers go up by a modest amount. Much of that was owing to the fact that they had Clemson and Alabama coming to Columbia, which is a pretty good bit of a sales pitch. So there will probably be a natural decline in season tickets just because the schedule isn't as good next year. But it'll be interesting to see if they reveal any of that data if a change does come to pass. Yeah, that's a good plug for your uh, big story you wrote a couple months ago, I guess now, on attendance. Very interesting stuff. Yes, everyone should go back and look at that. It'll, It'll tell you some good stuff. And to get more insight onto the Board of Trustees side, let's talk to one of our news colleagues, Lucas DiPrilli, who covers higher education at the state, mainly focusing on USC. Lucas, recently you spoke with several members of the Board of Trustees for the university, talking about the buyout of this size and significance. Could you explain for us a little bit about what your reporting found and how willing they might be to pay out something like this? Well, hey, Greg, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I talked to a few board of trustee members recently, and I heard varying stories depending on who you talk to. Uh, One of the first ones I got a hold of was Edgerton Burroughs, who is one of the more fiscally conservative members of the board, and he is of the opinion that the board cannot afford it. Uh, So does Charles Williams, and Charles Williams, you might remember from when Bob Caslin was being named USC president, he was the one who was talking to people about how the governor was getting involved. Just as a footnote, that's who Charles Williams is. He also thinks we can't afford that, but the board chair, John Von Lee thinks we can. So there's a variety of opinions on the board as to whether or not we can afford it. And then there's a secondary question of where would that money come from if they could afford it? Yeah, going off of that, because President Caslin in an interview with the Greenville News the other week said something along the lines of, you know, 
what I could do with $20 million. I could build a parking garage. I could approve improvements for the facilities. How does that process work of deciding where the money comes from? Is it you know already funneled a certain way? Is there a fund they can access? Uh, that's a great question because I saw a lot of, I saw a couple people on Twitter at least saying, you know, USC has such a ton of money. They have a big athletic budget. You know, USC has a $1.6 billion budget, but very little of that cash is actually liquid. They can't just take that money and use it. A lot of that money is dedicated to maintenance, professor salaries, or something. Or A lot of it's de- dedicated to scholarships, a lot of other stuff. And, you know, could they find one or $19 million, $18 million in their budget? Of course they could. But the question is, would they cut stuff and could they cut stuff? Like, for example, when USC needed to raise $11 million two years ago— that caused them to raise tuition by, I think, was 2.9%. So in order to get $11 million more into their general fund, they had to raise tuition. And I'm certainly not implying that USC would raise tuition to pay off a coach. I really don't think that would happen. No one's talking about that. But just as a reference for how, if USC wants that money, that's how much it has to go through to get that. Same with state support. It's hard for USC to get more money from the state government because a lot of agencies are vying for that money. And USC can do what other places can't do, such as, you know, K-12 through schools or like Department of Mental Health or something. USC can raise tuition. USC can seek donors. So the lesson is, the too long didn't read version is, USC has a huge budget because it's a huge school, but a lot of that money is tied up in other stuff. And I don't know where they'd get that money from. Some board members think they can find that money and that they can do it through athletic funds. I don't know where because I'm not an expert on the athletic budget, but that's still a lot of money, and they would have to find it. Plus, they'd have to pay, presumably, a new coach. I assume they'd fill his spot. (laughs) And probably pretty handsomely as well. When you're talking about the board of trustees members that feel that the money isn't there, are they they just don't want to take money away from different projects or, you know, where it's already been committed? Is that the case? Yeah, that's that's the impression I got. I don't think I think that everyone agrees that if USC's back was against the wall and this wasn't perhaps if it was I mean, I know sports is really important to the university, it's really important to recruitment, but if it was something that was core to the functioning of the university, they could cut, they could get donations, they they could probably swing it somehow. Uh, I think everyone's in agreement there. The question is what would the cost be? Would the cost be just, you know, if it's going out and just asking donors, hey, man, we just really need help with the football program. Uh, you know, if, if it's just the cost of that, I think that that's something trustees would be down for. But if it involves actually cutting stuff, you know, and there's the question about what, what it would do for other athletics, if anything at all. I don't know. But, you know, that that money doesn't just come out of nowhere. And, I mean, in your regards to your conversation with the Board of Trustees versus President Caslin, who is making that final call? I mean, the Board of Trustees, I'm assuming, has final approval over any decision like this. No, that's a great question because I talked to the Board of Trustees and whether they thought we could afford it or could not afford it, they all agreed that it's Ray Tanner's decision whether or not to fire Muschamp. It's the Board of Trustees' job to approve these large contracts and to set the pay. But a lot of times it's the grunt work, the groundwork. A lot of it's done by staff. A lot of it's done by administration. And then the board deliberates and and, and makes their decision from there. But a lot of them kind of wanted, at least publicly told me, that they wanted that to be up to Ray Tanner. But of course... That only can happen in so much of a vacuum because there's so much money involved. It's not like, should we hire this professor? Should we approve this professor for tenure? Which is what the board of trustees, at least they approve tenure. But when it comes to $19 million, you know, I don't know if Ray Tanner, I don't know enough about his job, but I don't know if I kind of doubt he'd be able to move that money around without the board of trustee approval. I don't know if anyone in the university can move around $19 million or $18 million without the board of trustees signing off. All right. Thank you, Lucas, for giving us some insight into the, the other side of things. Cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Okay, that will be all for this episode. 
We will be back next Monday with some basketball news from both the men and the women and any further updates on football. In the meantime, please be sure to check GoGameCox.com for any updates, and remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.